Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. No matter how perilous and perplexing our circumstances can appear to be initially, God will have the final word eventually. And like with Haman, the enemy can plan our destruction, but God, but God, overrules all and rules over all, even when it looks like it's all over. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Esther. Some of the challenges we face in life can leave us feeling absolutely crushed and without hope. From terminal illness to our lives being flipped upside down. It's understandable that we lose hope at times. However, in today's message, Pastor J.D. encourages us by reminding us that God always has the final word and is always in control. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Esther, chapter 3, with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. There's something I want to mention here before we move on to verse 12. And I think it'd be good to point out, there's a couple of interesting details here. First, I want you to notice in verse 7 that they cast lots before Haman. And they do this in order that he might determine the day and the month to carry out this evil plan to exterminate the Jews. And it's really interesting because it falls basically 12 months later, about a year later from the day. Uh, (laughs) That's God. That's God. God in his providential Sovereignty is the one who ultimately determines the outcome of what those dice are going to say, what the lots will uh, be cast as. This is Proverbs 16.33. It says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. This is how they would make decisions back in that day. And so they cast lots to make the decision. When are we going to do this? We already know what we're going to do. When are we going to do it? Oh, this is when we're going to do it. Now I have to understand something. In that span of 12 months, as the lots were determined by the Lord, the Lord is going to orchestrate all of the circumstances, choreograph all of the steps down to the minutest of details because everything will go perfectly according to God's plan. God has everything under control. Nothing is in any way a surprise to Almighty God. Here's another detail I want to point out. Uh, It has to do with how cunning Haman is in presenting his plan to the king. As As you read it, he's providing the king with this information concerning the king. Oh, there's a whole people within the kingdom, abroad, throughout the kingdom, high and low, far and wide. And their laws are different than your laws, king. 
you better deal with it because your kingdom is at stake here. And here's what's happening. This information is for the purpose of manipulation. And I point it out because this is textbook when it comes to those who have an agenda with ulterior motives in the sense that they always couch everything, all the information they provide in noble terms, even in spiritual terms, but they have an agenda. And it's not information for the sake of information, it's information for the sake of manipulation. And here's the thing, (laughs) unbeknownst to this demon-possessed Haman, the trap he has so cunningly and deceptively set for God's people is the very trap that he himself is going to be caught in. And this is Proverbs 26, 27. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone will have it roll back on him. That's the way it is, and that's why it is. Because no matter how perilous it is, no matter how perilous and perplexing our circumstances can appear, to be initially, God will have the final word eventually. And like with Haman, the enemy can plan our destruction, but God, but God, overrules all and rules over all, even when it looks like it's all over. (laughs) I mean, certainly in every respect, In every aspect of what's happening here, it would seem like this is it. This is an irrevocable decree. This Haman is very evil, and this king is very powerful. I mean, just logic and reason would say, we're done. We're done. But God. No, you're not. But God, but God, uh, the decree is irrevocable. God, the the lot has been cast. But God, the the time has been set. But God, uh, they're going to kill every single one of us. Well, as you know, (laughs) this... um, the gallows that we're going to talk about, and we did already uh, talk about, very uh, brutal and, I mean, just an unthinkable way to die. It's not just being hung by a, a, you know, a loose around your neck. These gallows were, they would actually impale you. It's just a, a torturous way to die. So this Haman is going to build a gallows to have Mordecai, tortured on and and hung on, and he's going to be the very one that is hung on the very gallows that he made for somebody else. Only God can do that. Well, I guess what I'm wanting to say again as a takeaway is sometimes we have circumstances in our life where it just doesn't look very good at all. (laughs) I mean, it's so perilous, it is so 
perplexing. It seems that the lot has been cast. It seems like the decision has been made. And through no fault of your own and through no nothing you did, it's just what's been done to you, what's been handed to you. And you're just looking at this thing saying there's just no way but God. Everything is going perfectly according to God's plan. Verse 12, then the king's scribes were called on the 13th day of the first month, and a decree was written according to all that Haman commanded to the king's satraps, to the governors who were over each province, to the officials of all people, to every province according to its script, and to every people in their language. In the name of King Ahasuerus, it was written and sealed with the king's signet ring. And, verse 13, the letters were sent by couriers into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate the Jews. Oh, isn't that interesting? Reminds me of what Jesus said about the devil. He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy this, this is textbook. Both young and old, little children and women. You see now why God commanded Saul to annihilate every single Amalekite. Because the Amalekites would do this to God's people. That's why. In one day, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and notice this one, to plunder their possessions. I want to talk about that in a moment. So, verse 14, a copy of the document was to be issued as law in every province, being published for all people that they should be ready for that day. (laughs) The couriers went out, hastened by the king's command, And the decree was proclaimed in Shushan, the citadel. So the king and Haman sat down to drink. Isn't that where the whole problem started the first time when they had a party and they were all drinking and getting drunk? I digress. (laughs) But notice this. The city of Shushan was perplexed, or better said, confused. I suppose we shouldn't be surprised, right? They're confused by this decree? Of course they are. Who's the author of confusion? Satan himself. And, oh, by the way, Haman, for those of you into typology, is a type of Satan. And he's also a type of an antichrist, if you will. Now, I mention this because... We have here what I call the three-pronged litmus test when it comes to identifying whether or not it's the enemy. What do we know to be true about Satan? He's known as three things in the scriptures. He's known as the father of lies, the author of confusion, and the accuser of the brethren. And wouldn't you know it, All three of them are woven into the fabric of the narrative. Accusation, lies, 
and confusion. And here's how I get there. Haman has falsely accused the Jews. And in so doing, he has lied to the king. And in turn, this has led to the confusion of the people. Listen, you, you just take that template, as it were, and you superimpose it on anything in your life, in your marriage, in your workplace, in your business, whatever the case may be, in any and every arena of life. And if you find that there's confusion, there's accusation, there's falsehoods, I promise you, as God is my witness, that the enemy's fingerprints are all over it. It should become the gauge by which you measure whether or not it's the Lord or it's the enemy. When you have this whole dynamic of confusion and it's it's perplexing and you don't understand what's going on and, and you don't know what's true anymore, that's the enemy. The enemy has gotten his tentacles into whatever it is in your life, and he's wreaking havoc, and that is the evidence of it. Well, there was this mention of the plundering of the Jews' possessions that I want to uh, talk just a little bit about and draw your attention to. It's in verse 13. Part of this decree was, not only can you completely wipe them out, (laughs) here's this this king, This this is how deceived He's, he's been by Haman. His queen is a Jew. He doesn't know it yet. Oh, he'll find out. And it won't be good. I mean, at this point in chapter 3, you're saying, Oh, poor Esther. Oh, poor Mordechai. Well, it's not going to be long before we're going to go, well, maybe not, but, you know, poor Haman. You know, it's, it's kind of like when David goes out, to slay Goliath, this uncircumcised Philistine. The first thing when Goliath opens his mouth and starts saying things like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have you for lunch, man. What is this, a joke? You're a little boy. I've been killing people longer than you've been alive. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna have fun with you like a little toy. I'm gonna feed you to the birds. And you're thinking, oh, poor David. And then David speaks. He says, oh, this, there's apparently been a huge misunderstanding. You uncircumcised Philistine who blasphemed the name of my God. You think this is between you and me? This little ruddy, handsome, good-looking little kid, probably a 13-year-old, some believe at the time. Oh, no, it's, this isn't between you and me. This is between you and the God You have blasphemed. And you go from thinking, oh, poor David, to, oh, poor Goliath. It's kind of what we see here. It's a whole paradigm shift. Haman is the one. But uh, 10,000 talents of silver, do you know how much that is? I um, was um, studying and I came across one commentator who estimates that 10,000 talents of silver would be the equivalent of about $30 million. So now here's Haman telling the king, 
I will put into your treasury $30 million. That's pretty persuasive. Where do I sign? $30 million? Oh, by the way, uh, small details, Haman, where are you going to get $30 million? Oh, well, (laughs) from the Jews. I'm going to plunder the prosperity of the Jews. Now, stay with me on this. If Haman is going to plunder that much prosperity, that must presuppose that the Jews have that much prosperity. Firm grasp of the obvious, I realize. But here's why I mention it. The Jews had really prospered. Not only had they prospered, they had prospered the entire kingdom. Again, they were a blessing. Wherever the Jews go, God blesses them, and God blesses those because of them. So here they're so prosperous, but maybe that was one of the reasons why they remained there and didn't go to Jerusalem under Zerubbabel and Nehemiah and uh, Ezra some 70 years prior. Well, what are you saying? Well, please know what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that God is punishing them because they did not leave when they could have to go back to Jerusalem as difficult as it would have been to rebuild the wall and rebuild the temple as their brothers and sisters, their fellow Israelites had done. But what I am saying is is that it's very likely, and certainly I'm not faulting Esther, she wasn't even born yet. She's very young, and this was 70 years ago, and maybe not even so much Mordechai. So what I am saying is, is that maybe their parents and grandparents, their forefathers, had become so comfortable in their prosperity that they didn't want to leave. They had become too comfortable there in Babylon, and they would not leave to go to Jerusalem when they had that opportunity. Well, let's move on in chapter 4, verse 1. When Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. He cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in, by the way, prior, he could enter because he had a position there within the king's gate. But when you're mourning, which this was a outward and visible sign of one mourning with sackcloth and ashes, you cannot enter. And so that's why. Now in verse 3, And in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So chapter 4 just keeps getting worse here. Begins with Mordechai learning of the king's irrevocable decree. And you got to know that Mordechai knows 
that Haman got to him. And he also knows why Haman had got to him and even manipulated him. And you got to wonder what Mordechai is thinking right about now. He's learning of this. And I wonder if he thinks that they're in this predicament because of what he did, or better said, didn't do. Bow to Haman. In other words, he took a stand for righteousness, and now a a decree has been issued to annihilate the entirety of God's people. Verse 4, So Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her, and the queen was deeply distressed. Then she sent garments to clothe Mordecai and take his sackcloth away from him, but he would not accept them. Then, verse 5, Esther called Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, whom he had appointed to attend her, and she gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this is. She doesn't know what's going on yet. So, Hathak went out to Mordecai in the city square that was in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him, and the sum of money... Interesting detail that Mordechai learned about that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries to destroy the Jews. So Esther hears about what is happening with Mordechai. She's trying to offer him clothes to take off the sackcloth and, and what's going, she has no idea. And she has no idea because it seems that she's been insulated and isolated from the inner workings, even though she's the queen. And it's interesting that it's her maids and eunuchs that are the ones that inform her of what Mordecai was doing. And they're not the ones who actually tell her, the queen, what Haman was doing and had already done. She learns of it, as we're going to see now, from Mordechai. Now, why do I point out that detail? Because this is how the enemy works in our lives, in our marriages, in our churches, in our families. He, his tactics are so cunning, and he's so covert, and so behind the scenes. He, he comes in undetected. And I was reading a a comment. um, Oh, What an incredible life Esther led. Her courage and faith saved an entire nation from destruction and gives us an example to follow when life becomes a trial. In our own times of difficulty, do we turn to God or away from Him? Esther chose to seek God and we'll continue to see the results of that decision in the next edition of In Spirit and Truth. As you journey on your own path of faith, we want you to know that we're praying for you. We would like to ask if you, in turn, would intercede for us. Please pray that we keep our focus on advancing God's kingdom and that our hearts would always be open to God's leading. Please join us in praying for those who will tune in just like you to In Spirit and Truth, that they would be touched by their Creator and turn their lives toward Him. 
Thanks for joining us in this way. If you enjoyed today's message and want to hear more from Pastor J.D., find us online at inspiritandtruthradio.com and click Listen at the top of the page. We have a convenient way for you to stay connected. Did you know you can take in Spirit and Truth on the go by downloading our mobile app? In our fast-paced world, it's easy to let the time we spend in the Bible go to the back of the line compared to the things we need to get done each day. When you download our mobile app, you'll have verse-by-verse studies in the Bible available right at your fingertips, available to listen to whenever and wherever you go. You'll find a link to the app at inspiritandtruthradio.com. That's all we have time for today, but be sure to join us for another edition of In Spirit and Truth.